about a hand or a beep for these guys? I'm so thankful for them. Good morning to you. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church, where our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Today we celebrate mothers and those important women in our lives who have had the most positive influence. I know that that Mother's Day brings up some complicated emotions for a lot of folks because not everyone has that storybook relationship with a mother or motherhood, and and sometimes it can be a reminder of the mother who's already in heaven. But I want to say this. If you have ever in your life had women who have loved you and been there for you, and were strong and caring, and whether they were your mom technically or not, if you've had any woman like that in your life, you are blessed. You are blessed. And one thing I love about being a part of a church family is, if you need someone to be a mom, (laughs) there's church mamas who will love you like a mom loves. I am so thankful to have some church mamas in my life who have loved me even though I was not biologically theirs, and I wasn't related to them at all, and yet they've loved me like a mama would love me. And uh, I want to be say, if you're, if you're looking for a, a mother's love, a church family is a good place to find it, and if you've got mother's love to give, a church, pl- a church is a good place to give it. i got to give a special shout-out this morning to the moms in my life who are here today. My mom is here, over here in this silver Chevy. She's here today. My grandmother is here, and uh, I'm so thankful for them. I've got to give a big shout-out to them. Let's hear it for Cynthia and Rosa. Will you all help me wish them a happy Mother's Day? Thank you so much. Uh, I'm very thankful for them. Um, they put up with me for a long time. I also want to give a shout-out all the way to heaven to the mother who influenced those two the most, my great-grandmother. See, when I think of the people in my family who have been the greatest influence to kind of guide our family to a good place, one of the main names that comes up, comes to my mind, is Gertrude Questenberry, my mom's mom's mom, my great-granny, my great-granny Gertie, the original Triple G, great Granny Gertie. I'm so thankful for her. Such a woman of great faith who raised 11 kids on next to nothing and somehow made it work, whose faith was so big that her example of trusting God is still felt in our family to this very day. And for everyone in the family, I don't know if it was when I was born or when, she she put put a life verse down for everyone in the family. And my grandmother brought it to me this morning, the list of the life verses that great-granny picked out for each of us, and me too. That's pretty special. Great-granny Gertie was from a different generation where a lot of the, the mountain way of speaking was still common. Now, we don't hear as much today, partly because the internet age and sort of the age of mass communication means that people don't have as much regional flavor to their language. 
people are starting to sound more alike in the internet age. You know, my, my kids have grown up with it their whole lives, and, and they're, they probably sound more like, not like they're from here necessarily, but kind of from the world, and that's the way it's going to be going forward. But I kind of grew up in a time where I still heard some of those old mountain sayings. Some of you guys might remember some of those old mountain sayings, and my kids have too. You know, uh, these days you don't hear it as much, but when I was a kid, if you left the door hanging open to the house, someone would ask you, were you born in a barn? Have you heard that one? Wave at me if you heard that one. Were you born in a barn? I was not born in a barn, but I lived near a barn most of my whole life, so maybe that's close enough. Another one that I never quite understood that I heard some folks say in growing up, that if something was crooked, they'd say, well, that's as crooked as a dog's leg. Have you heard that one? Crooked as a rail fence, crooked as a politician. Can I get a witness? Yeah, I see some folks waving right now. So that one, that one still applies. I'm not sure where the crooked as a dog's leg came from. That's a, that's a little different for me. Um, and my, my great granny would, because the Bible said not to swear, she wouldn't let anybody cuss, obviously, and wouldn't let anybody say, I swear. But she would let you say, I swanee. I don't know what I swanee is. Y'all, have y'all heard that, I swanee? And I grew up hearing my mom say, I swanee. That's something that, that's probably going to get lost somewhere in the, the Internet age. That's just, I hope I swanee doesn't have some sort of sinister roots where that word comes from because that's just, that's just funny to me, I swanee. And the, then, of course, one that's more common, the ones you might hear today, if you ask somebody to do something or if you invited someone to something, they might say, I'll be there if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. You've heard that one? The Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. You could still hear that one today. I've probably said that one myself. If the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. I don't have a specific memory of my great granny Gertie saying that one, but I bet she did. I bet she did say that. You, you can still hear some people say that today. Now, when my great granny was young, the creek rising was a contingency you had to account for because you got places on your feet most of the time. You walked where you went, and there weren't bridges over every creek, and if you needed to go to some place on the other side of a creek... You had to account for the creek rising. If there was a big rain and the, the water level in the creek rose and it flooded, then you might not be able to get through the creek to the other side. So it would, it would prevent you. Now, we use the phrase today, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, more, more or less to say, hey, I plan to be there, but I don't know what's going to happen that might stop me. I don't know the unforeseen circumstances. And for most of us living today in this age, the phrase, the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, it's just that. It is a, it's a saying. It's a saying that we use. For, uh, for Billy and Kelly, who are part of our church family, it is a reality because they live down on a little piece of paradise right on the edge of Laurel Fork Creek. And if Laurel Fork Creek rises, it gets in their driveway. So shout out to Billy and Kelly for, for really having to live through the, the statement, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise. They actually have to deal with that as a reality sometimes. For most of us, it's going to be just a saying. And of course, it's not a statement of our belief or our theology necessarily. But I kind of want to run with it farther than it's intended. 
I want to take that statement, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, which is just a, it's just a saying. I want to take, take it and kind of, let's, what if we treated that as a 100% serious statement, just for the fun of it, okay? What if we said, okay, whatever we're going to do, two requirements are necessary. First of all, the Lord must be willing and the creek must not rise too high. What if we treated it like that was 100% serious? I know it's just a saying. I know it's not really serious. But what if we talked about it like it was? I I think maybe we can kind of learn something by viewing it like that. So the first half of the phrase is as solid as it can be. If the Lord is willing, if we believe God is who the Word says He is, then we know He is sovereign and that His plans can always supersede our plans. So whatever plans we make, whatever commitments we make, we need to understand that if God has a different plan, our plans can be overridden very very easily. Have you ever had a plan for yourself and God had a different plan? If my plan for myself had worked out, I would not be standing here holding this microphone. So maybe I should be glad that my plan for myself didn't work out. The believers in an ancient time would often sign their letters and their correspondence with the Latin phrase Deo Valente, or sometimes just DV, the initials. Deo Valente means if the Lord is willing. So the idea is to communicate, if the Lord is willing, then we'll do this or that. Whatever commitments they made, whatever statements they made in the letter, they clarified to say, hey, if the Lord is willing, then we can do this. But the Lord is the one who is in control most of all. So the first part I can live with, the Lord willing part, absolutely. It's the part about the creek rising that I want to pick on for a minute. Don't take it personally. If you're really attached to the Lord willing and the creek don't rise, please don't take this personally. I don't mean it personally. We're just having a little bit of fun here. The creek don't rise. Now, I can, I can argue with that. The part about the creek rising, if the Lord's willing... He can make a way across the creek. What do you think? Well, I do believe I have read a story sometimes. He dried up the whole sea so that his people could go over. And I read in another place where he dried up the Jordan River and caused it to heap up way upstream. And the people of Israel crossed over to the promised land. So if the Lord's willing, let the creek do what it wants. Of course, the eminently practical great Granny Gertie and anybody with sense would say, well, if the creek is so high you can't get through it, maybe that's a sign that the Lord isn't willing. Have you thought of that? Yes, I thought of that. And we're going to take that, that um, very fair point and set it aside for just a moment and look at this from another angle. So if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, that's a mountain saying. And we don't really mean it in a literal sense most of the time. It's just something we say. But it kind of speaks to a greater truth. The truth that very often our faith ends where the floodwaters begin. That our faith will go right up to the edge of the flood. But that's where it stops. We have a pretty good idea sometimes what the Lord wants us to do and how He wants us to live and and maybe the idea that He wants us to dare some bigger things. But then we look at the circumstances and we decide we, we can't deal with those circumstances. It, it looks too difficult, too risky, too deep. It's one thing to 
talk about trusting God and say, yes, I trust God. It's another thing to trust God enough to step out into water that's over your head. Faith always feels risky. If whatever you are doing doesn't feel at least a little risky and a little bit scary, it's probably not faith. People misunderstand faith. People think faith is always being confident. That's not necessarily the case. Faith means you trust God and His plans even when the circumstances give you reasons to not feel confident, reasons even to doubt. That's what faith is. If you don't have any doubts at all, it's not the same as faith. It's faith. That would be knowledge. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. If you know exactly how it's all going to work out, that's great, but it's not faith. Faith is when we trust God even when we can't see how all the little details are going to work out. That's what faith is. Faith calls you to step out into a place that is uncomfortable, that is difficult. Faith asks us to do stuff that doesn't feel completely safe. Now, if we stick with that idea of crossing the creek as this picture of going forward in faith, well, well, why wouldn't we cross a creek? Let's, maybe that will illustrate some of this and help us understand. Why wouldn't we cross a creek? If we were in front of a creek and we, we saw the creek was there, why would we not cross it? Well, maybe one reason would be we look at it and say, man, that creek is too deep, or it's risen too high, or it's, it's too wide, or the water is flowing too swiftly. In other words, we don't think we are equipped to get across that creek. We don't think we have what it takes to deal with something that big. So we might feel like God is asking us to do something that is beyond our ability and beyond our resources. But that's kind of how faith works, isn't it? If God is asking you to do something that you can easily do on your own, that's probably not going to take any faith. It's when he asks you to do things that you are not sure you can do. Okay, what's another reason we might not cross that creek? Well, we don't know what's on the other side of the creek. We know what's on this side of the creek. We're familiar with our situation now, maybe not happy about everything that's going on. But if we risk it and go forward and and go into an unknown place that God wants to take us, well, that looks a little intimidating sometimes. Maybe we don't know if it's going to be better on the other side. And that kind of makes us question, well, do we really need to cross that creek? Some of y'all have been through old school church business meetings, okay, and old school church deacons meetings. All right, I see. Yep, yep, me and you are on the same wavelength, Neil, we know. And there's every version of this question has been asked in a church circle. Well, do we really need to do that? We've always been on this side of the creek, and we're done okay, and I don't know about that other side, that newfangled other side of the creek. I don't know if we need to go over there. This side of the creek was good enough for mama and daddy and good enough for grandma and grandpappy. This side of the creek is where we need to be. A lot of the things that God is challenging us to do will require us to go into a place we have not been before. I think that was an inadvertent beep of the horn. (laughs) That was my kids. Um, But I'll take that as an amen. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. When we talk ourselves out of greater obedience, we talk ourselves out of greater blessing. 
maybe another thing is we, we aren't so sure we could make it across. So what if we try to cross the creek and we don't get across? Then what? And we talk ourselves out of even trying. The fear of failure limits our faith more than just about anything else. And let me tell you what, folks. I know very intimately the feeling of the fear of failure. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who God has called to do some things that I feel like is way over my head. All of this, everything you see is a part of Recreate Church, I, I, I feel like is over my head. But God has called me to do it. What am I supposed to do? I don't want fear to rob me of my faith. And I don't want that for y'all either. So, okay, let's just be honest here. Caution is a good thing, right? If you came to a flooded creek, you probably should be cautious about it. I understand that, but this is, this is more of a metaphor. The problem with caution and the problem with common sense is when caution becomes inaction and common sense becomes common disobedience. And that happens. We cannot get to that point. Faith is risky to be sure. Trusting God and crossing over into the unknown is a little scary, but when we talk ourselves out of doing what God wants us to do and trusting Him in bigger ways, we miss out on what He wants to give us. He, we miss out on what, what, what God wants to give others through us. Don't you understand that you were not just born to go to work and die someday? You are made to do more than make a living and die. You were made to make a difference. You are on this planet because God planned for you to be on this planet. Now, the people that conceived you might not have had a plan for you, but God Almighty had a plan for you. You are meant to be part of what He is doing. And He means for you to do a whole lot more than to draw a paycheck and then die. That's not much of a life. You're made to impact the world. But if we stay right where we are on this side of the creek and don't trust God with some bigger things, then we do not make the impact that God has called us to make. So the, the message today is a word about trusting God even when we can't see how it's going to work out. To use that metaphor, even when the creek looks un, uncrossable, to trust God and step out into the flood and see what He is going to do. Jesus is going to teach us through His Word that the key to dealing with the, the impassable creek or the circumstances that don't, we, they don't look like we can make it through them, is to shift our focus from the circumstances to the Savior, from the, from the flood to the Father, from the rising waters to the risen Lord. He's the one who can get us through it. He's the one who can empower us. I want to take you to one of my favorite parts of the Bible. When I was a new believer, I went back here again and again and again because I wanted so bad to know what Jesus wanted to say to me. This is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Some folks call it the Sermon on the Mount. That's what I always heard it called because Jesus was up on a mountain or a hill, and he was seated, and people gathered around him and listened to him teach. Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew 6 if you want to be finding that. This is a very challenging passage of Scripture. It talks about this life that the Lord has called us to that is so different, that is so unnatural. It does not come naturally to us. Things like, like loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you. And if someone uses you and abuses you, you don't hit them back. You pray for them. 
I don't know that I can live that kind of a life. Actually, I'll say I know I can't live that kind of a life on my own strength. I'm going to have to have the Lord's help to do that, and so will you. So we're going to be in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 25. He's talking about faith and doubt, and that's going to be, uh, that's where we're going to be. Let's start with verse 25, and I want to pause and pray for us after that. Verse 25 goes like this, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Our Father in heaven, help us to remember that you're doing things bigger than we can see. And when we don't know how it's going to work, you know how it's going to work. Give us the faith to trust you and cross the creek in Jesus' name. Amen. So we read these verses, and people are worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. It sounds a lot like they had similar worries that we do today. I mean, how are you going to make ends meet? How are you going to make ends meet when groceries are so much more expensive than they were? When gas has gone up so much, how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to buy groceries? How are we going to keep clothes on our kids' backs And when we can't see how it's going to work out, it's stressful, right? If you were standing in front of a flooded creek or a flooded river and you knew you had to walk through it, that would feel stressful, right? Intimidating, yes. But it's just nearly as stressful when you're standing in front of your bank statement and you don't see how it's going to work. That's stressful. That is very stressful. When we don't see how things are going to work out, not just necessarily your bank statement because, you know, these days you can have enough money and still not be able to get what you need. Remember a year ago when you couldn't find toilet paper? That was rough, y'all. I grew up country, but I still prefer not to go find a leaf, okay? I grew up pretty country, and, and I would not be above that, but that ain't what I want to choose if I can help it, man. So I'm so glad we've got that now. A year ago you couldn't get toilet paper, you couldn't get cleaning supplies, Uh, That is certainly better now. But have you looked at lumber prices lately? Duncan, have you seen any lumber lately? It's insanity. Don't go buying plywood. You could probably go to the woods with a pocket knife and whittle you out a piece of plywood from a tree cheaper than you could go to Lowe's and buy it. It's horrific. Somebody said there was a cocoa shortage. You know what? I just, that's where where it's got to stop for me. Look, it's one thing to not have any toilet paper. But I can find some. But if we got to go without chocolate, the line is drawn. Yes, thank you, my chocolate lovers out there. We got to draw the line somewhere, and I'm drawing it at a cocoa shortage. We can't have that. Now, if the coffee runs out, that's when we start a revolution. Okay? If the coffee runs out. I got some people. Okay, James, you with me on that? All right. I'm counting on you, James. If the coffee runs out, boy, woo, it's going to be bad. Let about everything else run out. We've got to have coffee. (laughs) So um, when when it comes to meeting the needs of our households, we have a responsibility, right? I love those little munchkins in my house, and and we spend plenty over here at the grocery store to feed them, and and glad to do it, you know. We, We love having our kids, but, you know, you've got to think about 
being responsible and meeting your obligations, paying your bills, feeding your family. Jesus does not suggest for a moment that you should not be concerned about paying your bills and feeding your family. The Lord Jesus wants you to pay your bills and feed your family. You should be doing that. What he is saying is worrying over it will probably not equip you to better meet those needs. Worrying and stressing does not solve the problem. He says trusting over worrying will help you much more. Life is more than meeting material needs. Now, very often the biggest problems we face are not our circumstances, but it's our inability to trust. Our lack of money and our lack of time and our lack of resources will not stop us as much as our lack of faith. If the Lord is willing, He'll make a way. You hear me? Where the Lord wills, the Lord will make a way. Where God guides, God provides. Write that down. Not original for me. I don't know who said it first. But where God guides, God provides. And my great granny Gertie is proof of this. Imagine raising 11 children, part of that time through the Great Depression. And let's just face it, around here, the Great Depression is just how folks always lived at that time. They didn't know that there was a depression because it was always, everybody was always kind of having to to scratch and scrabble to make a living. Imagine raising that many kids. Well, I'll tell you how she did it. She had great big faith, tremendous faith. If she stood in front of the the, the creek and... Uh, said, Lord, could you part this creek? I don't know. The Lord might have parted it for her. I don't think I'll ever have faith that big. But she trusted God and planted taters, all right? That's what mountain people do, amen? Trust God and plant more taters. Dad, you're not going to say amen to that? He's the tater plantingest man I know. One year when we were young, my dad like grew 35 some bushels of potatoes. We had so many potatoes. It was crazy. But uh, I could probably eat about 15 bushels myself. Me and potatoes go way back. I love potatoes are my love language. Okay. Just so you know, there's all those love languages. They need to add a sixth love language. Potatoes. Potatoes in any form. Speak to my, speak to my heart. So one thing I love about Jesus is how he always found a way to help people connect with the truth in a way they could understand. He used illustrations that were out of real life. So he's imagine he's sitting up on this hill, and he's giving this teaching, and he wants people to understand how he's talking about faith and trust. So he sees some birds flying over, and he points out the birds, and he talks about the birds for a moment. Then he points out some flowers growing over here and talks about the flowers and the faith they have. And then he motions at the grass that is growing beneath them, and he uses the grass as an example of faith. We're going to read this in verse 26. I'm going to skip over verse 27 for now and then pick up at verse 28. Jesus said like this, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus points at nature as our example. It seems that our human instinct is to doubt, but the nature of these 
you know, more simple organisms is to trust. He pointed at the birds. He said, consider the birds of the air. See those birds flying over? Consider them. I kind of wish the, the seagulls from the county dump would fly over here to the parking lot. Have y'all seen those? Sometimes they make it over here. But no such luck today. I don't see any birds today. But if you see a bird today, think of this. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. Birds can't plant a garden, let alone harvest it or put it in a barn and save it. Birds can only go out by faith and find food. They don't have any guarantees. They're just told to go. That's their instinct, to go and look. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Just go and look. What if you didn't have a job and, hey, let's just go look and see what we can find today? That sounds like it would take a lot of faith. Even so, have you ever seen a wild bird living free that looked like it was going hungry? No. Every bird you see, for the most part, looks like they're getting enough to eat. Why? Because God feeds the birds. Does God dump bird seed in their nests? No. He gives them the drive to go out and look for it. They trust God and go out, and He leads them to the right places to find what they need to eat, and they live. That is how the birds live by faith. We need to be willing to do that, to live by faith, to trust God and be faithful in whatever He's given you to do. I realize you may have a job that is not what you planned for you, that is maybe not the job that you love, or, or maybe it is a job you love, it just the paycheck just don't love you enough, you know what I mean? I've had some jobs that I loved, but I didn't love what I was making, okay? What can you do? You trust God and you go to work and you give it your best. And if it's not the place you need to be or if you need some new opportunities, pray that God would give you new opportunities. And the more faithful you are with what you have been given, the more likely he is able to trust you with more. That is a lesson that I need to remember pretty often, that that if we want to be trusted with more, we need to be faithful with what we've got and and give all we've got to what we've got, and God will trust us with more. Okay, so we've talked about birds. I see some birds flying. There's a crow over there. Not quite as beautiful as, as some birds might be. Um, I don't know. Some people like crows. So maybe crows and birds, and maybe that's not your thing. Not everybody's into birds. How about flowers? If you don't like birds, maybe you like flowers. Jesus said, hey, look at the flowers of the field. Look at them. Check out their faith. A flower has even less opportunity to change its circumstances than a bird. If a bird is in a circumstance that is not favorable, what's a bird do? Flies away, finds a better place. A flower cannot fly away. A flower's got to bloom where it is planted. We're not always able to change our circumstances, but we can bloom where we're planted. Flowers don't worry. They might wilt, but they don't worry. They just do what they can with what they've got, where they're at. That's what they do. And the Lord provides the sunshine and the rain that they need. And Jesus uses the example here, say the flowers, they don't worry, and they certainly can't go clothes shopping, and they cannot make their own clothing, as was done back in those days. But flowers are clothed more beautifully than King Solomon. King Solomon was the richest king in the history of the Bible, and he would have had the most beautiful, ornate clothing. And Jesus said, look, even Solomon, who 
put serious time and money into his wardrobe wasn't dressed up like one of these flowers. So maybe you don't go for birds. Maybe you don't go for flowers. What about grass? God blesses the grass. This is the time of year where we start remembering how much God can bless grass. Some of y'all like mowing yards. Some of y'all love that stuff. I, I wish I had the, the gene in me of my grandfather who's passed on who liked to mow the yard, but I did not get that. I just got his good looks, right, Granny? I didn't get his. <laughs> That's my mom beeping that horn. Just so you know, if your mama don't think you're good looking, you're in trouble. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Mom. I, always, I can always count on you. So uh, this time of year, we, we have to start mowing grass. And you can see how God blesses the grass, and it, it grows sometimes faster than we can keep up with it. Jesus said, look at the grass. God blesses the grass. Now, the grass in that region wasn't kind of the, the lush um, fescue that you have in your lawn. They didn't really have lawns, yards back then. Grass was something for for animals to graze on. It would have been pasture land maybe, and it was compared to the grass we have around here, it was kind of dry, it was kind of scrubby. They didn't use it for a whole lot. The, the thing that people used grass for then was they would use dried grass to start their cooking fires, and that is probably what is indicated here when it talks about the grass being thrown into the oven. It's probably talking about them using dry grass as kindling to start their cooking fires, and a little something to to boost it and give it a little bit of heat. And Jesus said, if God takes care of something that is worth no more than a little kindling, don't you think he's going to take care of you? Jesus is making a point here that, that God loves the birds. God loves the flowers. God even loves the grass. But he loves you so much more. And if God takes care of these lesser things, he's going to take care of you. The birds and the flowers and the grass put us to shame. They don't stress. They don't fret. They just do what God made them to do. Birds will build a nest anywhere and make it work. In the strangest places, birds will build a nest and they thrive. Grass and flowers will grow anywhere. Flowers will grow on the edge of a cliff. Grass will grow right up in your driveway. And you got to fight it every year to keep it out of the gravels or out of the pavement. They don't wait for the perfect circumstances. They just do what God made them to do. They just grow. They just live. Maybe that's an example for us. We can't always choose our circumstances, but we can choose our response to our circumstances. We can trust God where we are to bless us if we'll just trust him and, and do what he's called us to do. Maybe part of our problem is we're too smart. Look at the person next to you and say, you're just too intelligent. Now, don't say it sarcastically. It might hurt their feelings. You're just too intelligent. You're too smart for your own good. Because we're so much smarter than the birds and the flowers and the grass that we can see all the ways it can go wrong. The birds and the flowers and the grass, they don't think about what can go wrong. They just do the thing they do. Well, we, we think about all the ways that it can go wrong, all the ways that it won't work, and we stress and we fret over that. So maybe the question I want to ask you, it's, it's a fair question, that if we see all the ways that everything can go wrong and we let that bother, the, bother us and we let that stress us and we look at the circumstances and we 
we we we doubt that God can make it work or we don't even try. Here's the question. When God leads us to go forward and we see the circumstances, we see that rising creek and we decide that it's too tough and we stress over it, does that prepare us better to deal with the problem? Does standing on the edge of the creek, fretting over it, make us better able to cross the creek? What do you think? What do you think? Well, what would Jesus say? Does our fear make us better able to handle the flood? Verse 27. We're going to go back and pick that up now. Kind of a weird way he says this. In our, it doesn't quite fit our vocabulary. Jesus said, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Okay, what's a cubit and what's a stature? A cubit is a unit of measure. It was about 18 inches. Stature means your height or your size. So Jesus is asking, which of you by worrying and stressing can make yourself bigger with the idea that if you're bigger, maybe you can deal with the problem better? You know, when you're a small child, you can't reach things, and you think, well, when I'm tall enough, I'm going to be able to reach this, or I'm going to be able to do that when I'm a grown-up. Now, those of us who are grown-ups know that growing up is a total scam, and you should just stay a kid. It's a lot easier being a kid. But anyway, we think, well, once we are bigger, then we'll be able to do this and be able to do that. So by worrying and by stressing and by doubting and by being fearful, do we make ourselves bigger? If I stand on the edge of the flood waters and I stress about it, does it make me taller so I could jump across it? No, of course it doesn't. Doubt doesn't make you any bigger to handle your problems. It doesn't increase your capacity to cope with whatever's in front of you. We worry and we stress over things, but it doesn't really help us, does it? It just gives us ulcers and steals our sleep and gives us more gray hair and strains our relationships. So what can we do? Is there some better solution than than stressing over this thing in front of us? Yes, there is. Jesus told us to shift our focus from the problem to the provider, from the circumstances to the Savior, from the creek that can't be crossed to the God who calls us to step out on the waters. Let's read verses 31 through 34. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, you spend all your time worrying about tomorrow. When you got enough to worry about today. So Jesus said, don't worry about all these needs and all these difficulties. He said that the Gentiles seek after these things. And in context, it's, it means the people who do not claim to follow our God. The people who don't claim to believe in or, or trust in God, they're the ones who obsess over these things. Obsess about the how. How are we going to do it? How are we going to meet these needs? How are we going to cross the creek? How is this going to work? Jesus says, don't worry about the how, worry about the who. He said, if you seek the kingdom of God first, he'll work out the details. The Lord knows what we need. He knows how much groceries cost. 
Don't you think the Lord knows how much gas prices have gone up? He knows. He knows. He knows those people in your family who are acting crazy and making bad decisions. He knows. He knows those people in your life who are making it a living, we'll keep it PG, making it a living heck. He knows who's making your life heck. He knows. He knows all of that, and he cares. He cares. And if Jesus said, if we shift our focus off of why it won't work, God will find a way to make it work. How? I don't know. I ain't going to worry about the how. I'm going to worry about the who. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things we need will be added unto us. That's what he says. The old saying is, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, I'll be there. But we know the truth, the deeper truth, our tendency is to see the rising creek and say, well, the Lord must not be willing. But if the Lord is willing, he'll make a way. Where God guides, God provides. If we fix our focus on the one who causes the other side, he'll deal with whatever stands in the way. If the Lord's willing, we ain't going to worry about the creek. He'll take care of the creek. So I've had a while to think about this because I'm the guy who's always planning something. I've always got something planned. Ever since I was a little kid, I was trying to figure out how to make things work. I'm the guy who would stand on the edge of the creek and think, okay, we can cut that tree down and we can make a bridge. I've got to find a place to get something to cut it down with. And who can I, how can we make something? I've got to find a way to make this work. Some of y'all who are closest to me know that's what I stress over. I'm constantly thinking, okay, how are we going to make this work? Because uh, um, I'm always seeming to be in the place of, of making chicken salad out of chicken stuff. You know, you know that phrase? That's an old mountain saying too. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken stuff. We're going to go with that word stuff. Guess what? All the time, every batch of chicken salad I make, usually what I have to work with is chicken stuff. We make it work. So I'm the guy, I'm always fretting, stressing, how am I going to make this work, Lord? Okay, okay. I got to find out. Here, what if we do this? Then, then we can make it work. And I find myself fretting and stressing so much. I tell the Lord, yes, I trust you, Lord. But then I feel like it's on me to figure out how to make it work. All right. Was that just an illustration of what goes on or what, y'all? <laughs> Do an outdoor ministry in a place, and the one speaker I don't strap to a bucket of concrete blows over at just the right time. Thank you, Lord, for giving me an illustration of why I'm always making chicken salad out of chicken stuff. Okay. That's the way it is, and it feels that way, and I find myself stressing over that stuff so much. Hey, kids, y'all remind me to strap that thing down in the second service, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. I tell the Lord I'll trust him, but then I take it upon myself to figure out how to make it work. You remember how I said my great-granny Gertie always had life verses for everyone? She always, for everyone in the family, she had a life verse picked out. And I do not know why she picked this one out. Me and my, my grandmother were talking. We're not quite sure where she got these from, but she got them from somewhere. And uh, I want to read mine now, the one that she got for me. It's Matthew eleven twenty nine. So I want to read that with the surrounding verses for context. It goes like this. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke was kind of like a harness for oxen. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, that is to say my requirements, are easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Jesus did not call us to cross the floodwaters and then leave us to figure it out. He says, follow me. Let me lead you. My, my, what I'm asking for you is not a heavy burden. It's a blessing. It's, it's rest. Don't burn yourself with all these worries that I did not give you. So much of our worries in life are not worries that the Lord has handed us. It's those that we have picked up ourselves. He says, trust me and I'll show you the way, the cro- way across. I don't know if I'll ever have the faith that my great-grandmother had. Probably not. But I will say this. Whoever you are, no matter where you've been in your life, no matter what you've done, if you call upon the name of the Lord and you seek the kingdom of God first, He will help you find a way. He will help you find a way. Always. Ask Him to lead you. Ask Him to make a way. Faith always feels risky. That's how you know it's faith. If it's no risk, it ain't faith. You're walking by sight, not by faith. And we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. The will of God will lead you. Right now, give him those impossible circumstances. On this Mother's Day, what impassable floodwaters are in front of you? What is the thing that looks like you can't get past it, can't get through it, can't get over it? You're just going to have to turn around and go home. What is that thing for you? What are the needs you aren't sure are going to be met? What are the relationships that seem to be impossible right now? What are the obstacles that seem to be too big? Give them to Jesus. And that begs the question of you and I. What is holding us back from trusting Him with everything? I'm looking around this parking lot and all over here at Pizza Hut and Food Line, Family Dollar, wherever we have people scattered this morning. And some of your stories I know, some of them I don't know. This is the question I want to ask you as a, as a person. I may not be able to ask you directly and face-to-face right now, but I want you to be thinking about this. What is stopping you from trusting the Lord 100%? What is in the way? What is stopping you from calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved or, or stopping you from, from making that big step and being baptized? What is stopping you from crossing over into what God wants for you. What is stopping you? Let's pray right now and let's give that thing to God right now. Heavenly Father, you look into my heart and into every heart who is receiving this message and you show us what's in the way of us trusting you 100%. Lord, what is that creek that we don't think we can cross? We ask that you'll show us what to do with that that you'll show us the way across. We believe you, Lord, that if you're willing, there is no creek and there is no obstacle that can stop us. God, I want to pray for everyone who's a part of this this morning, that you would work in their hearts, and if they've never trusted in Jesus as Savior, that they would do so. And if they've never been baptized, that they would make that important step and publicly profess their faith through, through baptism. Lord, thank you for mothers and for those who have loved us like mothers Bless all the mamas out there. They've got the hardest job on the planet most days. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Happy Mother's Day to you guys. I'm so thankful for those who love like mamas, even when they didn't have to. I want to give you a little heads up. Lord willing, in the next few weeks, we're going to be starting a new series and uh, talking about end time stuff. People keep asking me. Last year, they asked me a lot more. Said, Preacher, do you think this is a sign of the end? And we're going to be talking about that, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. Don't know if it'll start next week, but it might. And we're going to kind of answer some of those questions you might have about, okay, how does this story of human beings and planet Earth, how does that wrap up? Because God does have a very good plan. And some parts of it are a little bit intimidating, but on the whole, God's going to work it out, and it's going to be pretty amazing. I hope you have a wonderful day today. May the Lord bless you so much today. May he lead you to greater faith today. God bless you all, and I will see you next week.